considering the subject matter, we should warn you that basically there is going to be some extreme content during this talk, some extreme sexual imagery in the form of album artwork, uh, and extreme language. This is a subculture that does deal in extremes. thesis argument that I'm going to be putting forward today is that industrial music and its use of what I term nighttime imagery functioned as a sort of ritual of initiation both for the artists and people who made the art and for the people who are involved in consuming it. It was an initiation enacted via a descent and an ascent. Classic initiation. A descent into night, into the subconscious, into the repressed, psychologically and historically, via the interrogation of transgressive imagery. These range from fantasies of genocide, serial murder, and images of extreme sexual violence. I'll argue that the artists use these not merely as shock tactics. There is an aspect to that, but I don't believe that's where it actually comes from. I like to see it more as a form of psychic self-surgery. idea behind Throbbing Gristle? What was the manifesto for it, if you like? It was to um, deconstruct the notion of what music was in the 20th century or had become, so that emotions were stirred and questions were asked within people, rather than a sort of superficial Saturday night dance and uh, drunken time and then go home and repeat the process the next weekend, which is what the music was like at the time. So we wanted to give some some life back to music and some meaning. To me, England is an artistic dead zone because there are thugs going around in uniform threatening anyone who tries to express something other than the common agreed status quo vision of reality. And artists, to me, are supposed to, by nature, tread the line of what is not acceptable and look inside themselves as deeply as possible to deprogram what society tells them is around.
for an easy way out, just for enjoyment of the most shallow and, and tedious type, really. The, the problem with Western music is, contemporary Western music, is that it offers, offers nothing except shallow pleasure, um, petty enjoyment, and the promise of dancing the night away and drinking, fucking, picking people up, all completely pointless things to do. Western music used to have something important in it, if we look at, back at the classical composers, but even the classical music of the West now 
can't offer anything to people because it exists in its own sphere. It's um, a finished sort of music. This is an, an idea I've expanded that was originally um, minted by the writer Bibakov in the introduction to a very famous book called Tape Delay, where he described pop music, well I mean I'm, I'm running with this, I won't blame him entirely for this, but where he described pop music as a soundtrack to 9 to 5, to consuming, to working, whereas noise became pop music's night. Under the cover of that night, noise provides a cover where this kind of transgression can take place, where crime can take place. Noise works to liberate previously suppressed personas. It also works to jam the signals, to jam the broadcast and frequencies that consensual reality normally broadcasts on.
would buy conventional rock LPs and uh, there was always the like the mad bit, the freak out piece uh, which was generally at the end of the track when a band finally got going and just as they were about to hit their peak the fade would come and I always found that really irritating and um, I, remember, I remember buying things like uh, um, I don't know, Robin Trower albums and shit like that just for that little bit that was a bit further out than, than most things. And, um, and from there it just led to to keeping an ear open for anything that, that kind of just, you know, just became a little bit more freaky. Yeah, and then the Velvet Underground. I heard that. I heard Sister Ray. And, uh, and that kind of changed everything, really. The fact that someone did a, a huge 17 minutes of kind of freak out stuff was such a surprise to me. As a kid, like a 14-year-old kid at school, all your mates are listening to you know, Wishbone Ash, yes, and things like that, but you can't understand it. I don't understand why they, they like this shit. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, so the Velvet Underground, and, um, and at the time, before the Velvet Underground, I was, I suppose as a teenager, I was listening to things like T-Rex and stuff like that, and um, there was a track on one of their albums called Elemental Child, you know one? Featured a, um, like a seven minute Wild Wild solo by Mark Boland, who then couldn't play the guitar, and I loved it, I just loved that, but I really thought that, uh, even, at, even then, I just thought, I could do that. I didn't really want to, but uh, it was so it was so amateur. But that didn't seem to matter really. It was just you know it was taking the music off into another realm, uh, which I liked. So that was it really. It was just it was just keeping your ears open for anything that was peculiar.
is all completely over and there's just nothing left for them. And the sooner people realize that, come to terms with the fact that the civilization is dead, the sooner they'll be able to get out of it and start building something up and learning from other people and building something new and fresh. But as long as people are crippled by the illusion that they're part of something important, something which has died a long time ago, there's just no hope for them. But, but they're the only people that can do anything about it. Yeah. So that's why you were leaving for India end of the summer. Yeah, basically it's... I was born in Asia anyway, and having lived in England and a couple of other places in Europe, although it's pleasant and easy, there's no challenge. And I think that the closer you are to corruption, the quicker you get corrupted yourself. So by living in a culture, which is morally and spiritually corrupt. You start to come like that yourself. You know, you catch the disease very easier and yeah. it becomes very easy to sit back. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, that's what I'm going to do. I go to India to study Tibetan language and Tibetan religion, Tibetan medicine. But obviously, it's not saying that this is what everybody should do. It's just, yeah. I suppose, it's just my, my, personal, yeah, it's my yeah. personal way of running away from it. Because fuck knows, I can't take it anymore. Sink down on 
I spent a lot of time traveling the UK, and some occasions living with a lot of the musicians I'm talking about tonight. I stayed for a time with a group called Coil, John, the late John Balance and Peter Christofferson, who we saw in Frog and Gristle, with William Bennett from White House, with David Tibet from Current 93. And, you know, I've seen these people characterized or defined as sort of like transgressive ubermensch or, or Nazis or all these crazy terms. It doesn't come anywhere close to the reality of these people. What you will find is that the people who tend to be involved in this kind of art, it's never that kind of person. There was a fear with these people, an intense sense of morality, but what they were doing is they had to explore all this, partly because they were frightened. They used this system, this music, this exploration of these extreme topics as a way of initiating themselves, as a way of coming to terms with reality. started it was basically John's idea and he you know he felt that there were, there were lots of musical things that he wanted to explore and I was happy to sort of help and provide kind of technical and musical side of things and it was only after a year or so that you know we started to think well what what are the the issues you know that we think are important for people and that uh, you know, that can be used as ideas on a record that actually, you know, challenge people, but also help people and, you know, get people to think about things in a different way. What were some of those ideas? Well, for us at the time, we were, um, you know, as gay men in, uh, I guess I was 24 or 25 when Carl started and John was probably 18. One of the issues that was, was uppermost in our minds was the, the, the new um, plague that was spreading everywhere that, that first was called GRID and subsequently became you know, AIDS and HIV and suddenly, <coughs> excuse me, our friends started dying and so, or getting ill anyway and dying in due course and, and you know, the, two, first of the, the first of our two albums are a lot to do with you know, our experience of, of finding our friends die and us thinking about how it must be to be in that position and, you know, I mean... Uh, the issues I guess, of the mortality of the day. Issues of mortality and, yeah, exactly, and, and immortality. Yeah. Many of these groups were involved and very interested in the occult, particularly Coil. They thought of their music as magic. Now that seems like a contradiction I'm talking about. They want to reconcile themselves to reality, but they're into magic. My understanding of magic via systems of people who groups like Throbbing Gristle and Psychic TV 
rehabilitated 20th century magicians like Arthur Crowley, Austin Osman Spear. I understand these systems as systems that work to reconcile the initiate to reality. Magic does not distance you from it. If you believe it's about spirits, ghosts and la la land, then you're a new age simpleton. That's fine. I'm happy for you. That is not what magic is about. And this is why magic and the occult became such an obsession with industrial culture. Because again, it was about an initiation into reality. An unflinching initiation into the reality of reality.
greatest secret, which appears in no religious doctrine and is found nowhere in the world's overburdened library of myths and fables, nor receives the slightest mention in any philosopher's system or scientist's speculation. The greatest secret, perhaps the only secret, is that the universe, all of creation, owes its existence to a degenerate little town. And if it were possible to strip away the scenery that surrounds us, to pull up the landscape of every planet, to rip away the skies and shove aside the stars and suns, to tear from ourselves our own flesh and delve deep into our bones, we would find it standing there eternal, the origin of all things, visible or invisible, the source of everything that is or can be, this degenerate little town. And then we would discover its twisted streets and tilting houses, its decaying ground and rotting sky, and with our own eyes we would see the diseased faces peeking from grimy windows. Then we would realize why it is such a secret, the greatest and most vile secret, this degenerate little town where everything began, and from whose core of corruption everything seeps out. From the beginning, if there was a beginning, this degenerate little town has become ever more degenerate, its streets more twisted, its houses more tilting, its ground more decayed, its sky more rotten. Those faces behind ever more grimy windows have become ever more diseased. And in the end, but there can never be an end for this degenerate little town. No more than an end will ever come for the worlds that have seeped out of it. For everything we can know is degenerate from the beginning. Everything becomes more twisted and tilting, more diseased and decayed, rotting from the very sky. This is the law of things. If there can be any law in a world, in a universe, that has its source and origin in a degenerate little town, which has been degenerate from the beginning, if there was a beginning, and will go on with its degeneration, its ceaseless twisting and tilting, its disease and decay, its infinite shades of rottenness forever and without end. Please select a category by simply touching the screen. If you were a ghost, who would you haunt? Oh, um, I'd haunt the people who are responsible for destroying the health service. Um, I'd haunt um, anybody who was responsible for um, oppressing groups of people, I guess. I'd be quite a vicious ghost, really. You know, the people who um, instigated Clause 28, if that's what it still is. Um, people who are responsible for privatisation of things like the water board. People that run the nuclear industry for all the suffering that they cause and all the lies that they tell. And there's, there's so many. Level. What is your vision of heaven? Oh, um, a bed full of Siamese kittens. Ten. If you met God, what would you ask her? <laughs> um, 
why are the nicer people not as successful as the shitty people? Want to shock people? No, it wasn't about shocking people, ironically. It did shock some people, but we just wanted, if you like, to short circuit people's notion of what music could be. Were people angered by, by the performances? In, in some ways, but it wasn't anger at us. The first thing to do when you don't understand something is to kick against it, and we were the people they kicked against. Thank you. 
35 minutes, song structure and arrangement are today's subjects at the Rock School. Before that, here's John Nicholson to introduce this week's guest, who's open to question. Our guest tonight has taken horror a step beyond the Frankenstein monster and the psycho killer to produce storylines that some say can only be the result of a diseased mind. The man who's made millions terrifying people with visions from beyond the grave, Clive Barker, is open to question. You said that Hellraiser was clearly metaphoric. Then why was it banned in Canada? I don't understand the question. <laughs> um, you said that it didn't contain anything which could cause copycat violence. Right. Then why was it banned in Canada? It's very interesting to see. Have you seen the movie? No. Okay. That's why I was asking. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh... Do you agree that video nasties have led to an increase in brutal assaults by teenagers on the elderly and children. You stated that you have gone to autopsy, autopsies as yeah. a form of entertainment, mm -hmm. and therefore it would seem to me that you share the same macabre taste as Myra Henley and Brady, who enjoyed the thrill of dismembering the, victim, the bodies of their victims. Well, I lightly said I went to ent for entertainment to, uh, to autopsies. I didn't take a radio and sandwiches. Um, I went um, anxious, uh, with my heart thumping, wondering whether I was going to be able to deal with that experience. And I was, I was moved to tears by the experience because it was a confrontation by extension with my own mortality. enjoyment of confrontation with your nightmares, don't you think this shows a slightly warped mind? Since the whole idea of nightmares is that they terrify you. No, the whole idea of nightmares, as far as the psyche is concerned, is to deal with in sleep what we can't deal with in our day-to-day -day lives. Now, it seems to me that a nightmare, in other words, is evidence of a confused and frightened psyche. The background to this question, I think, to oh, okay. explain for people watching, is that you say that you used to be disappointed when you woke up from your nightmares and you used to actually quite enjoy them, oh, yeah, which the, is I, a very unusual I, I get behavior. a story from them. You see, this, but this is, comes back to being at peace with your imagination and being in peace, at peace with the beasts. I mean, I create this stuff. It's my, it belongs to me. I'm very, uh, they're my children. What type of person would you say you are? You go to autopsies, you see people getting cut up, and you get cheap thrills out of it. What type of person would you describe yourself as? I hoped I defended myself against the cheap thrills description. I don't think it was a cheap thrill at all. Um, but yes, I've gone to autopsies. I do a lot of other things, you know. I go to restaurants. I mean, it's not, it's not like it's like a, a daily activity for me. Yes. <laughs> I'd like to know how you justify some of the explicitly gory f scenes in Hellraiser. Is that the kind of thing that comes out of your imagination? If so, do you put them in just to give people thrills or... Do I just to give people nightmares? thrills? I certainly hope there are thrills in that. I enjoy that kind of material. I mean, I have yes, to... But I have do you to enjoy coming out of a film feeling like unfulfilled, thinking, God, I felt sick during that film? Ah, uh, yes. You enjoy that? Yes. I mean, what can I tell you? I mean, I was talking about uh, Cronenberg earlier on. Cronenberg is me one of the great filmmakers 
when, when uh, Jeff Goldblum's ear falls off in the fly, it's one of my favorite moments of cinema, you know? I, I mean, what that says about me, Would I don't know. Would you like know. to see that in real life? Would you like to see a road accident and be thrilled no, by it? Of course not, and that's the whole point, isn't it? That's exactly the point. The point but is that you can, that the, the vicarious experience is the important one. The important one is that you can actually deal with these things on, on a filmic level, on a cinematic level, or a literary level. Do you I think it's to, important to be able to well, do this. Do you want to come back so one, one more time? If I can see, I go, I went and saw the film, so if I come back and Next day I see a road accident, I'm going to be alright, I'm going to be able to deal with it. Is that one is, one is fantasy, one is fiction. And, and one is fantasy, one is reality, I'm sorry. And, and I think that's an important distinction. Uh, one, is, one is real pain, one is a drama. Um, if you, when you go to Macbeth or when you go to King Lear and you see the eye gouging sequence, what do you think? You think, you know, well I hope I never have to see an eye gouging. Of course you do. And that's perfectly legitimate. What it seems to me to, important to say is that death and violent death are part of our experience. Um, you do see road accidents. I saw one yesterday just round the corner from my house. I never want to stage a road accident in a movie. That's not interesting to me. But to write about or to, to make movies which are about metaphors, which are about forbidden material, which is about eroticism, which is about demons, yes, that is interesting to me. This is mad love. 
impatient youths of the sun, burning with many colors. Flick combs through hair and bathroom mirrors. Fucking with fusion and fashion. Dance in the beams of emerald lasers. Mating in suburban duvets. Come splattered nuclear breeders. Thank you. 
the dreary region of the dead, where all things are forgot. Soon as from earth I go,
am I born to die? And lay this body down And as my trembling spirits fly Into a world unknown A land of deep shade Unpierced by human thought The dreary region of the dead Where all things are forgot Soon as from earth I go What will become of me? Eternal happiness or woe was then my fortune be. Tortoise mouth with mist and curved teeth. The main joke had been cracked, and whilst the laughter melted into smaller worlds like whirlpools, sucking in the slaughtering sheep, I looked at your face in pearl light and sleepy. The clouds that kiss your mouth. Silver lidded the moon that laughed and cried, whilst the crumbs of night that leap into shadows as windows close and curtains open hissed as smoke might. If God could give it tongues, you were not alone in sanctus sound as bell sharp spires into liquid dogs. Cats curl and arch into kittens again, but from the corner of my eye, I see black ships have killed the sky. And you're not alone in sanctus sounds as bell sharp spires into liquid dogs and cats. Curl and arch into kittens again. Yet from the corner of my eye, I see black ships kill the sky.
Rest your head upon the 
protects, works, law, life. Force, exit, expel, inspire. H, E, X, F, E, A, R. Noise or signal. Silence and secrecy. At war with words. Energy is eternal delight. Energy is eternal. Fear, false evidence, appearance real. International dark skies. Stars splash the silver answer back. first century onwards when we started to tour it was kind of a constant struggle between the the, the, the dominance of the booze or the dominance of, of his willpower to, to perform relatively straight and to perform well I, I became kind of not only the sort of leader of the band but also the nanny you know who had to look after him 
when he was drunk and stuff, which was quite boring. This came to a sort of a head, really, in around, uh, around 82, 83, I think. We went to have sushi, and he announced that we were split up. We were no longer a couple, which was in some way a relief for me, but in other ways, at the same time, nothing changed. He continued to live in, a, you know, in the house we shared and to need to be babysat and when he was drunk and to, uh, to you know, be drunk when he wanted to be drunk, which was most of the time. So... Did his death come as a shock? Well, it, it, yes, it came as a shock, but it didn't come as a surprise. Uh, obviously, you know, we've been together for a long time, and so it was a big, uh, big jump to find that, uh, you know, I was in, alone again, or as it were. But uh, it didn't certainly didn't come as a surprise because uh, we've been telling him that if he didn't stop drinking, it was going to happen for a long time. <laughs> He, you know, he leant out too far into, in his desire to look into the abyss. And and if you do, if you do genuinely desire to look into the abyss, then then it's more or less inevitable that, you know, if you don't take the proper precautions of hanging on, that you're going to fall.
in Thailand for several stretches of three or four or five, six, even six months at a time in the preceding few years, even before Jeff died. And I knew ultimately that I wanted to live here because it's just a much more pleasant place to live than England. There are lots of things I like about Thailand, not least the fact that I feel that the skin that separates the real world from the world of the supernatural, of, of uh, spirits, ghosts, all kinds of, of uh, creatures or visions, you know, from, from beyond this plane of existence. The skin is much thinner here in Thailand than it is in the UK. Generally speaking, in the UK, ghosts and visions of those kinds of... I don't know, they're, they're, they're kind of removed, they're lonely, they're, they're separate, they're mostly invisible to most people. Whereas here, you can talk to any taxi driver and he will tell you about ghosts that he's had in his cab. After the tsunami, there was a big phenomena amongst the taxi drivers in Bangkok. Um, many, many taxi drivers reported picking up Westerners from the train station or from, from um, hotels, whatever, wanting to go to the airport and driving them to the airport and finding on arrival at the terminal that the, their cabs were empty. And they, all the taxi drivers would, would swear blind and would tell you that, that it was because of the Westerners that had died in the tsunami who were trying to get home, or the ghosts or their spirits were trying to get home by, by going to the airport. So, so take that with a pinch of salt or at face value as you like. I don't like to become inebriated just to see across the divide I don't you know in the way that, that Jeff used to, to I don't need to you know drink I don't need to take drugs particularly to to see across and and that's one that's the main thing that I like
our species are occasionally pretty good at doing something selfless and amazing, something that brings people around the world together in an event of global proportions that does actually change the course of our development as a species. Where I come from, that gets you a whole bunch of gold stars when it's time to move on. But that's not the reason that people do it. People do it because they know making the world a better, safer place is plainly a good idea. There are lots of examples in contemporary culture of people exceeding their normal expectations simply with help and encouragement of some inspiring leaders. And by the way, helping people does not start and end with you forwarding a pleading and most likely bogus email to everyone in your address book. That just burns coal we can ill afford. Just because we see brave people all the time in the movies doesn't mean we can duck out of being brave ourselves. Well, someone else is sure to do it, just doesn't cut it. We all have to do the right thing, even if that means not buying that Mercedes or those Manola Blanics this year. We all have to do it, even if that means crawling under the caved-in building, trying to pull people out of a burning vehicle or getting the rope to the trapped child, even if it could cost our life or our hands. Sure, you can say I'm not the hero type, but I happen to know you are, because you're human. Chances are, any aliens watching this can probably apply this logic to themselves too. Thought kills action. If the worst should happen and you don't make it, Uncle Sleazy personally guarantees you'll get more gold stars than you could shake a rocket at. Karma in spades. No next life is a scabby flea-bitten dog for you. Not so most liars and cheats and politicians. Us regular humans are good at this if we don't hesitate. I see a train coming, but the train is so close, I'm like...
kitchen wine. 